We are back with a new episode of Working It Out. This is a really exciting one. We, you know, the tour, my tour of my new show, The Old Man in the Pool, that I've been developing on this show in real time, we're 60 episodes in, thanks for being a part of it, is now in person, in your city, possibly. I'm going to be in uh, Berkeley, California for pretty much the month of January, like 20-something shows. Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Minneapolis, Indianapolis, Dallas. I'm really going all over the place. You can go to burbigs.com and sign up for the mailing list. That way you get the pre-sale codes, you get the best seats, and they don't go to some broker who has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want these brokers involved with this darn thing. Uh, today on the show, we have uh, a great comedian. She's, I mean, she's someone who I've met at clubs over the years who I've always found to be so funny live. Her name is Rosebud Baker. Uh, she has written for Michael Che's series, uh, That Damn Michael Che. She has appeared on Sam Jay's uh, series on HBO called Pause. You might remember we had Sam Jay on the show last summer. Uh, who is hilarious, and I love that show. And uh, and she has her own new special called Whiskey Fists on YouTube. It's free. It's free on YouTube. Um, this is, uh, I'm just going to play a clip right now. I went out with this guy who was a, he was an abusive alcoholic, which is a very tough combo, right? Especially for him, because he was always like way too drunk to land a punch. Uh, LAUGHTER don't get me wrong. I was just like, I'm already enabling you. Like, do I have to fucking lean in? What's... Let's get it together, whiskey fists. So that's a clip from Rosebud Baker's special Whiskey Fists. Uh, a quick warning. Rosebud takes up dark topics. Uh, I'll say no more. She writes very dark jokes that I think are hilarious. They might not be what you're in the mood for today. So that's my quick word of warning. But I, man, I love this conversation with Rosebud Baker. She has a great comedy mind, a very collaborative uh, comedy brain. And uh, so enjoy my conversation with the great Rosebud Baker. Rose, I use something you said as an example when I try to explain to people a very hard thing to explain which is why comedians like spending so much time with comedians mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> our mutual friend Keith Robinson who's a great comic he mentored Kevin Hart he's sort of a legend he's sort of like a yeah. comedy legend friend of ours he's had two strokes in the last few years and it, and it's tough yeah it's tough and then after his second stroke recently I was with Keith and a bunch of other comics at the cellar one night, and everyone's sort of like, sort of making fun of each other in all directions. <laughs> and then you walked in, it's probably like 11 o'clock at night, and you go, Keith, you still pretending you had a stroke? <laughs> and <laughs> and Keith, started, Keith started laughing so hard, and everyone started laughing so hard. And I was just like, that's that's it. Like, that's <laughs> that's why comedians like hanging out with comedians because there's just no, there is no line. We talk about the line in stand-up comedy. Yeah. With audiences, there's a line. With comedians and comedians, no, there's no line. Yeah, no, not at all. I, uh, <laughs> I do remember saying, I've been saying that Keith faked his second stroke <laughs> for, <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. 
your special whiskey fists is great. Thank you. One new one newspaper uh, called it whiskey fits. Wait, what? Really? Where? <laughs> I I, go- I I googled it's it. It's not wrong. Like, Rosebud Baker's special whiskey fits. I was like, yeah, that. I mean, that could have been the title. <laughs> yeah, it could it could have worked. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it still works. Yeah, it still works. Still works. But it's uh, it's funny because. It, in some ways, that title is perfectly fitting for the special because you get probably about 15 minutes in and you realize that the title is in reference to uh, possibly the darkest subject matter one could uh, have, <laughs> right? which is that an ex-boyfriend who was physically abusive to you— uh, you and you sort of and is a is drunk is a drunk and and you sort of nickname him Whiskey Fist. Yeah, no, he's he's because he was always too drunk to land a punch, and that oh I God. thought I think that here's the thing. Like when I started writing that joke, it was I was doing like I think I did like sixteen roast battles in one year, and oh it was God. all just like that was kind of how I got known in New York. Like, within the New York scene, I was just, I just did roast battle after roast battle after roast battle. And it was kind of like, for me, I learned how to write jokes in that way, um, where you take the worst subject matter you can think of and you make it funny. And I loved doing that because I just had this wealth of of stuff to work with in my own life. So I was like, if I just work this stuff into into that, I'll have an hour, you know? And it kind of just became the way that I know myself as funny is like, if something is, if something really shitty happens, there's something funny about it. Yeah. There's like a tension built into it. I think the first joke I saw you do was about how your sister is a nurse and mm-hmm. it's on the special too. And, you know, and and you go, nobody appreciates nurses more than they do. Yeah. They're heroes and they'll tell you. <laughs> and uh, and then you said you called your sister and you said, what's louder at the hospital, the ventilators or the sound of you guys patting each other on the back for your TikTok moves? <laughs> and I was just like... Who is this person? Uh, and so I think that's around that time, that's when you and I started talking. And and uh, I was just like, man, you're just one of the best joke writers. I, I think because you just go into the mouth of the lion. Thank you. Thanks so much. That means a lot to me. Um, I, uh, I think that the only reason I write jokes is because I started off feeling like I wasn't good at it. And sort of overcompensating in that way where I, yeah. that's why I did so many of those like roast battles is I was like, this is, you have to write a joke. Like it has to, you have to go in with like 16 written jokes. And, you know, I think there's real value in that. Yeah. Um, I think now that I put the special out and I'm like, uh, that it's filled with jokes and I and I love writing jokes, but I think that there's something now that that's done where I'm kind of like relaxing a little bit on stage and seeing yeah. what happens when I go up with like subject matter that just that isn't necessarily like a finished written joke. When I was watching the special, I was thinking there are probably four or five topics in this special that you tell stories about. 
that could be their own special. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have an abusive ex. You have substance abuse issues that you dealt with in the past. Right. You have your sister passed away when, when she was young. I mean, it's just tragedy. You know, <laughs> tons of tragic stuff that you make into really, really well-honed, crafted jokes. And I was thinking, like, are you going to take one of those and just make that a show? Mm-hmm. And so that you can sort of break it open and go into detail and go into hard, you know, those challenging specifics that you, that no one wants to talk about, really. Yeah, I mean, you were the first person that made me, that even made me consider doing that. Um, I, I've thought about it, but there's a part of me that is like, I don't know if I want to go back to any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, there's a part of me that I get off stage. Wait, why me? You mean something I said or special? Something you said to me. We were were at the cellar and you said, um, you know, you could take any of those things and you could make it one special. And I thought, it's a really interesting idea. I don't know if I actually have the wherewithal to do that because my jokes are so dark. And I, I think that that was something that I really wanted to do before the pandemic. And now yeah. I'm like, I walk away and I'm like, did I? Because there, there's sometimes when you bomb with like really dark stuff, you leave the room feeling like you took comedy from them. You know what I mean? You leave the room <laughs> <laughs> feeling like you're just a walking funeral home. And, and I don't know what my next hour is going to be. A lot of, now I'm on stage, I'm talking about miscarriage a lot. I mean, there's just a lot. It's like I keep going back to like these things that right. are like not. The fun, the fun the, stuff. The real fun, you know, the birthday party stuff. Um, but I'm, I really want to do stuff that's, that's more, that's light. I, there's like a part of me that really wants to do that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to. And I'm really lost. On, I think what I'm saying is I'm really lost and I don't know what is happening <laughs> and what's going to come next, you know? I've never been in this position. I've never finished a special and started over, and it's I hate it. Yeah. I hate the feeling of, like, I don't know what's happening next. There's an interesting thing about your special, which is <laughs> for your closer, <laughs> you tell the audience that they might not like it. Yeah. <laughs> which, for your closer. Right, yeah. <laughs> which... I felt okay. Here's the thing: we had two shows. <laughs> you're, just to give context, just to give some to context, audience, your closer, your closer yeah. is you're really banking on that uh, closing, so to speak, the deal on the special, and everyone's gonna love it, mm-hmm. and they're gonna applaud, and they'll be on board. And you basically take your riskiest joke, which is I'm not gonna give away what the joke is. People have to watch it, but it's like really, really dark. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you might not like this. And then you just go ahead. And right. And I think that that was important because no one in my special, no one coming to my special taping knew who I was. And that right. is, and there's a couple different reasons why I said it. And it was, first off, I could hear, they were getting tired. I felt them getting tired. <laughs> That's just the okay. truth. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second thing was they didn't 100% like me. Like <laughs> right. As as evidenced by, you know, the you interviewed audience members, you did like exit interviews and you had a guy being like, "I wish you had talked about some other things." Yeah. <laughs> which is a phenomenal piece of tape, you have. Yes. And 
And I was like, this is kind of, I knew that the special was going to go on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. And I thought to myself, in the middle of the special, I did, I did ask audience members if they were having a good time. They were very honest. You know, they, the reactions I was getting were very honest. They were real. It was a real show in the sense that I yeah. had expectations for it and those were not met. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the audience had expectations <laughs> and those were not met. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really a very, it was a perfect, if I, if, if my comedy's really honest, this special was a perfect representation of an honest exchange between a yeah. comic and an audience that didn't know who she was. And I thought, this is perfect because this is going on YouTube. Yeah. And YouTube needs an enemy. <laughs> yes. And the enemy can be the audience. And the enemy can be the audience. For the YouTubers. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's fantastic because if you are, I hate to say this, but like if you're a female comic and you're doing well, there's people that will, they don't care that they see you doing well. They actually don't want to see you doing well. Like what yeah. they want is to see, is, is they need someone to like get behind. They need, an, they need to be an army, right? And I thought, well, perfect. So I'll just keep everything in the special that is going to get people behind me. <laughs> like, I, I want to correct one thing you just said, which is you said you, you hate to say this, but I think that you loved to say it. I, <laughs> trust me, I hate it. I wish, I, <laughs> I wish that it was something that like I could say without, without adding a thing you know, to it. Oh, no, of course. No, you're 100% right. I, it's like... There's an animus for female comics from some men right. that is extraordinary yeah. and terrible. I mean, there's, there's like... Extraordinarily, let me rephrase, extraordinarily terrible. Yes, um, unextraordinarily terrible is really more like it. Like, it's like they are everywhere. And I know I'm going to read the comments because I'm not um, a mentally healthy person. Sure. So I'm just, I know I'm going to look. And I just thought, all right, well, if they're going to be assholes, I let me just give them someone to be mad at. And so I, yeah. so I did because I know my jokes are good. <laughs> and I just thought, perfect. And I kept everything in the special yeah. that they were like, are you sure you want to – I mean, I had people asking me, are you sure you want to put that in? Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm absolutely positive I want to put that in. I, I want to ask a piece of advice because I read this. You were talking about getting sober 10 plus years ago, mm -hmm. maybe 13 years ago. Did you get sober? Yeah. And uh, and you said the piece of advice you would give is to addicts is take a year off, get a day job that you think you're too good for, humble yourself in a real way and focus on getting sober, put all your energy into spiritual growth, be willing to accept that everything you think you know about yourself is probably false. Stay away from big announcements and proclamations about changes you're making in your life and just make them get off social media and buy a diary. And I thought that that was a really wonderful piece of advice. Mm -hmm. And then I, th then I thought, okay, while I have Rose, I'm going to ask her, <laughs> what advice do you have for a friend of an addict? Oh, God. Jesus. Because I've lost a lot of friends over the years, too. To addiction. Yeah. And 
a lot of comedians have substance issues. Right. And, uh, and I always find, you know, my friends who have passed, I find myself never, I have nev- never stopped th- thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I always think, what could I have done? Yeah. And do you feel like there's anything that can be done with friends who are addicts? I mean, that is so hard because I've been an addict and I've and I've loved an addict while sober. And I would pick addict every time in terms of like levels of pain. I would pick being an addict over loving an addict any day because it's wow. so hard and so you are so powerless to like help them or make them see and they're and you can try all kinds of different things and you can tell yourself like that you're not you can you can give them ultimatums and you can tell yourself that you mean it but really you're just in the back of your mind you're giving them the ultimatum because you hope that they'll choose you and it's like this nightmare of um you know Addiction really does spread throughout, like, the friends and the family and the way that we deny what's going on this is the same as the way the addict does because we keep thinking, oh, they'll choose to get better. They'll choose to get better. And it's like, it's not really a choice. It's like a miracle when they do. Yeah. And— so so you don't have any advice? I mean, the only <laughs> advice I can give is like there's 12-step programs for people who love addicts. And I had to go into one and um, and you have to detach completely like with love for them. You have to really yeah. go, I love you, but I can't. I can't stick around for this. And if you ever need help and you really want it, like I'm here, but I have to disappear for a little while. Yeah. Because you're not really talking to your friend. You're talking to a disease. Like, it's like The Exorcist. You know what I mean? Like, that movie used to scare the crap out of me as a kid. And I think it's because I knew— I mean, I was surrounded by addiction as a kid, but I and I didn't see this at the time. But that's really what addiction is. It's like something taking over your body, like and your mind, yeah, and your ability to make decisions. And so it kind of is like the second that I see someone I love relapse, I, I like in my head a part of me just goes, "All right, goodbye for now. Yeah. I can't really yeah. do anything about it." And People say that that's, like, not loving, but I think it's the opposite. I think it's the most loving thing you can do is to let somebody make their own mistakes and let them learn from them and not have to, you know, not to, not be there to try to make them feel better about it because they shouldn't feel mm-hmm. better about it, you know? We do this thing on the show called The Slow Round, and— so one of the questions is, like, do you have a smell from childhood that you is, like, really good or really bad that you think about sometimes? Oh, this is something that I think about a lot. Is it the smell of my mom before she went to bed? Because she would have this, like, face cream. She smelled like yeah. Luberderm and Carmex, <laughs> which is, like, okay. which is probably, like, um, like, a lip balm that gives you cancer. But, I mean, it sounds like it. <laughs> 
Right. But, um, yeah, Lubriderm, Carmex, and just, like, face creams. Like, my mother yeah. would go to bed every night looking like she was crowning. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, just <laughs> fluid all over her face. And you should, you, gotta, you should write that down. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a, there's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. You you grew up in Virginia, right? I did. I grew up in Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a Do you have a memory on a, on a loop from childhood where you just it's not even a story; it's just like a thing you think about sometimes. Okay, so I I remember very very little of my childhood, um, mostly because I'm dissociative. But I there's a an image of a lamp next to the couch in my parents' living room. And I remember just staring at that lamp by myself, the way that you would stare at, like, the twins in The Shining, you know? Like that. (laughs) Yeah, okay. There was this, like, there was something about it that was, like, spooky and shameful to me, and I can't figure out what it was. And I think that couch is where I learned to masturbate, right? Oh, there you go. I think that— when I go back in my mind, I'm like, I think I was avoiding eye contact with the couch. Like, oh, my God. Your, your romantic partner, <laughs> the couch. Yes. I think I was looking. Your first love, the couch. Yes. I think <laughs> I was looking at the lamp. <laughs> like, coyly. Oh <laughs> coyly. How dare you? <laughs> like, like. Looking at the couch's friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's, That's too good. And then there's another there's another thing, too. But I think that—so my sister, I had a lot of little sisters. And, um, and one of my sisters, Mary Stewart, she had this toy, this Santa toy, that would, like, laugh, like, ho, 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 ho. It was like a— a motion-detecting Santa toy. And it was just a head. Okay. I don't know why, but it was just a head that you would put on the table. And when I would leave her alone in a room with it, and I would run out of the room, she would move, the Santa toy would start to laugh, and she would start screaming for her life, okay? And I would... Am I going to regret telling this? Anyway... So as like a two-year-old, or probably less than that, I would leave the room, and when I would rush back in after she would start screaming, she would reach for me, and like she really needed me. (laughs) And this is psychotic. (laughs) And I'm just like realizing it as it's coming out of my mouth, but I loved that she needed me like that. (laughs) Aww. I like that. No, it's psychotic. This is how you grow up to love addicts. You're one of the very few people I know who every story you tell, I'm like, yeah, that could be a bit. <laughs> I don't, there's, it's so messed up. It's so messed up. Like, I don't know if I could tell it because I'm like, I feel like, it's, I'm so ashamed of it. And I know that everything that you're ashamed of could be a bit. Like, there's always something there. Yeah. It could be a bit. There's nothing 
But I th- there's nothing out of the ordinary of that being a thing you did as a kid. I don't think that. I, I think that's relatable. Oh, really? I'm laughing because it's relatable. I'm not laughing because I'm like, ha, 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 Rose is Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's satanic. I think it's actually satanic to do that. Well, Santa Claus is, Santa Claus is satanic. He's from pagan rituals, but, but you're not satanic. <laughs> what, what's a time in your life when you— were an inauthentic version of yourself that you're always, like you cringe thinking like, oh gosh. Oh God. I really more cringe at the moments where I was myself. Um, <laughs> oh wow. I cringe at the moments where I was my authentic self more than the ones that I. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that though? That's a good answer. I, I never heard that answer. I mean, I find I've been, a, I've been pretty authentic my my whole life and in a way that is embarrassing like I, I was a kid and I I you know I grew up with like a, a very powerful grandfather like politically he was like so we would yeah. go to the White House and we would go I know this about you James Baker is your grandfather yeah who, who's in the Reagan administration and the Bush senior administration right yeah that's a that's a real thing Rose and I aren't joking. Yeah, People that's a that's a real like thing. A real childhood. Yeah. Right. So we would go to the White House, and um, and this is when people, <laughs> this is when people generally just tune out of the story because they're just like, oh well, fuck you. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, how how hard, so difficult. Sure. Um, and obviously, I'm not saying that this was traumatic, right? I mean, I had a great childhood. I got to fucking look for Easter eggs at the White House. So I knew, even as a kid, that I had it good. I wasn't like, there wasn't any part of me that was like, nothing's fair. Like, I I knew that my life— You knew you had White House privilege. Yeah, I knew that, like, what, it, what they call white privilege is baby food compared to what I— <laughs> Is baby food. <laughs> compared to what I grew up with. But the— I remember going to these events, and and uh, I don't know what we were there for, but it was like a big dinner, and I was probably like seven or eight, and I I decided I wanted to make a speech, and so I grabbed, you know, a fork and my glass, and I just started banging my fork and glass because that's what you do. I saw other people do it at other dinners, so I thought, that's very funny. How is this different? You know, and I stood on my chair. <laughs> I stood on my chair and I Oh my god. I wanted to I think I was like congratulating him for something. Anyway. So I stood on my chair. Your grand your grandfather congratulating your grandfather. No, the president. The president. Oh, the president of the United States. Yes. Who was George Bush Sr.? Yeah. Okay. But I decided that the first line of my speech was going to address him <laughs> as George. <laughs> Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And and so I'm eight years old, and I'm standing on a chair, and I'm like, George, thanks for having me, George. And everybody in that dinner, which there must have been at least 100 people, they all started laughing, and I had no idea why. And I— and I thought, oh, God. I think it was like the first time in my life that I realized, like, I don't belong in the world that I am in. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yes. I'm not set up for, 
I don't have whatever it is that these people have that makes them aware of of each other, you know? Yes. And and it infuriated me that they were laughing and I didn't know oh, why. Oh, yeah. You know? So I look at it now and I'm like, it's not, you know, that's the that's a moment where I'm like, it's so cringy to me that I was just be I was just being myself, but it didn't fit. It didn't fit in the world that I was in. Oh God. So it's like moments like that where I go, oh God, you know. Moments where I'm able to actually cover up who I am, I'm I really am proud of. <laughs> Working It Out is sponsored in part by Lou Malnati's Pizza. Deep dish pizza from Chicago. I love it. People ask me about my my take on Chicago pizza all the time. Very controversial topic. Pizza. Regional pizza. St. Louis pizza. New York pizza. California pizza. Chicago pizza. And I love Lou Malnati's. As a matter of fact, when I land in Chicago for my shows there, I often will order it on the way to the darn hotel. Lou Malnati's now ships their pizzas to you. I actually got one recently, threw it in the oven, and it was fantastic. They ship their deep dish pizza nationwide with everyday free shipping. The time is now. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Tastes of Chicago is providing you with the greatest deals on great gifts with a 0% re-gifting rate. If your loved ones can't make it home for the holidays, give them the next best thing. Deliver the taste of Chicago to their door. Tastes of Chicago will donate 10% of its total purchases to charity when using code BRUBIGS. Just go to tastesofchicago.com. That's tastesofchicago.com. Code BRUBIGS. Working It Out is also sponsored by MeUndies. Oh, I love MeUndies. I found MeUndies just from podcasts like this, radio ads like this. And, uh, and so I tried it. They're, they basically said, you know, we're the most comfortable underwear. And I was like, oh, really? And then I got it and uh, I agree. And so I'm like, okay, th- that's what I do now. They are available in sizes extra small through 4XL. MeUndies has a little something for everyone on your list. MeUndies has a great offer for, for you, for my Working It Out listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping right to your door. Your days of fighting for your life. Fighting for your life in a mall parking lot are over. To get 15% off your first order, free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to MeUndies.com slash BurBigs. That's M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash BurBigs. This is a joke I've been kicking around, which is um, there are psychologists who say that we seek in a partner the quality in our parent that was most hard on us. And I don't I don't think that's true. The reason I married my dad is that he loves me and he's hard on me because he loves me. I mean, my wife, my wife <laughs> loves my dad. No, my, my dad loves me and my wife loves me too. And the reason they're hard on me is I'm a bad boy. I mean, I think we all know I'm a bad boy. And the reason my wife ended up with me is that I ran out on her mom when she was three. Wait, no, it's because I see the best in her. No, the best of her. <laughs> oh my God, that's fucking great. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I You're think the first audience for it. I've never put it on stage. It's so great. I First of all, I, I love that the only part that I was like, 
because that feels like almost done. But (laughs) I think if you do, if you, I don't know. I'm like, if you keep going with the I married my dad thing. Yeah. Then it's just, I'm like, that's just one joke. Um, mm-hmm. if, you, if you took a little longer to realize that you were saying my dad. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The time delay of realization that I'm messing up my own yes. phrase. Yeah. Because if there's, if you're really playing that, like, I don't, I don't agree with this. Right. That It's a Freudian slip in real time. Yeah. And then allow it to, like, go on for a little while. Um, it's more of a, it's more of a slide than a slip. You know what I mean? Totally. And <laughs> like, it's, it's funny because it's like, yeah, no, I, I like that. It, it's, it, it's also like something that, that potentially just could pop up in different parts of my show. Right. You know, just the, the, the confusing one for the other. Like if it works at the beginning, it could pop up in other places of just misunderstanding one word for another. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. But, uh. Do you have a thing? Your husband is a comic as well, and you, congrats, you were recently married. Thank you. Thank but, uh, you. Do you have Do you have anything where, jokes-wise, with your husband where you sort of talk through the logic of a joke? You know, like, because you do have jokes about your husband. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's proof. I mean, that's kind of my chosen way of going through jokes now is, like, just talking through them, not really looking for the funny, and just seeing if something funny comes out of it. You know? Yeah. Um, I've been talking a lot with, with him about, because I'm writing about, uh, like, we, we had a miscarriage. And both, and he wrote a joke about it that is so funny. It's infuriating. And I, <laughs> it's so funny because he, I, can I tell his joke? Is that, I mean, he doesn't care uh, yeah, if I do. Please, but please, yeah. His, his joke was. You should give him proper, proper citation. Yeah. His, his name's Andy Haynes. And he wrote a joke about uh, how I gave him, for Christmas, I gave him a card that said, congratulations, you're going to be a father. I'm pregnant. And then um, she lost the pregnancy. And then she never got me another Christmas present. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, but you know, it's sad because she never got me another Christmas present. <laughs> like that's the oh my that's his joke and it's just like it's just perfect. I'm like that's a perfect joke. Yeah. Mine is like a lot longer. I'm trying to work through all of it like I'm trying to talk about how I had I never wanted kids in the first place and then I got pregnant and I lost the pregnancy and now I want a baby because it's playing hard to get. And <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and, and I, it, but it's true. I'm like because there's this part of me that's like I don't, I don't know if I really when I think about having a kid, like I, it never occurred to me to want a kid until I had yeah. until I'd been pregnant and lost a pregnancy, and then it felt like nature was like challenging me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just sort of. Look, everybody's got their strengths as a mother, and I think for me, it's just I. I'm like I will fight my way. Like if if somebody tells me you can't do this, yeah, then I'm like I'm gonna do it. You know? Yeah. But my fear is that I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna have a baby, and then be like, oh shit, I just wanted to win. 
You know what I mean? Right. Right. It's almost like you're it's almost like you're like the Michael Jordan of uh <laughs> you know, moms. <laughs> like when You're like I you're like I took it personally. When I had a miscarriage, I took it personally. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted I it wasn't it's not like I don't think I had a normal reaction to it. I think yeah. I think I was like I sort of reacted to it like a bull with a red blanket, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like <laughs> like I <laughs> there's a part of me that uh that was just like <clears throat> you know like I'm going to like I'm I'm rearing up to like and and then there's there's different parts of this. So I hope that this isn't like upsetting anybody cuz I I know it's like a Oh, there's going to be all kinds of, of, of warnings on this episode, okay. Rose. Okay, okay. So— <laughs> your, 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 whole, your whole deal is one big warning. Oh, fuck. This is going to be behind all kinds of paywalls, and, <laughs> and it's going to be like in a safe somewhere. Okay. It's going to be so hard to access this episode. Well, then in that case, I'm just going to do the suicide joke. Yeah, okay. There okay. you go. There you go. There you go. So, no, we're going, to do, we're going to do warnings up front on this one. Okay, great. Um, so— I talk about how um, I'm not suicidal, but I'm not fighting to live. <laughs> and okay. and all of this came up when there was like a flood in New York a few a few weeks ago, I guess. Yeah, yeah, a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I felt so dumb because I was putting a mask on in an Uber that was literally filling with water. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy! <laughs> and I just thought, oh my god, what, that's crazy. What am I trying to save myself from at this point? Oh my gosh! You know, yeah. because I was like, if this Uber fills with water, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting out. <laughs> Oh my god. I'm just gonna ride this thing into the next life and see what happens, you know? Yeah. And That's why I tipped 25%. Because <laughs> I just wanted good karma for that next life. Yeah. I just said, here, you know, I don't know how long you're gonna be able to use it, but <laughs> I just wrote uh, custom. Tip, um, <laughs> all my money. <laughs> yeah, custom tip. I, I just sent him, that's great, actually. Just sent him whatever was left. Uh, <laughs> so there's another part of this, which I think you could really help with, where I say I would never actually commit suicide because I've never been able to nail a dramatic exit. Oh my god. <laughs> like I and I I I'm trying to think of examples for this, but like I've never I, I've never been able to like storm out on an X without forgetting my purse. Oh my god, that's so funny. Or but I want other examples in there cuz what it oh leads to is me saying that I would if I tried to jump out of a window, I'm scared my jacket would get caught. And they'd, oh my God! They'd be like, "Oh, it's just a window washer who fell asleep," <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh! Yeah, and then I have. I, it's so funny. I wrote a sim a thing similar probably six months ago, which is that 
if I attempted to commit suicide, I'm sure I would botch it. Like, I'd jump. Like, I think, you know, we're on the subway platform sometimes, and the subway's coming, and we go, oh, what, what would that be like if you yeah. just jumped in front? And then you'd be like, but I feel like I would botch it. Like I, like, I would be exactly in that area where you wouldn't get killed by the subway. <laughs> and then I'd be like, I'd be, like, fucked up, but I wouldn't be dead. Yeah. And then I'd be late for the meeting I was going to. And then my agent would be like, Mike, I can't. You got to be dead or alive. I can't sell you both ways. Like, I can't sell you, like, with your whole body fucked up. You just, you walk into the, you walk into the subway, and then it bumps you. And you, and you have to write a new show about how you fell asleep and walked into a subway. <laughs> oh gosh. I like that I like that bit though. I'm I like where you're going with that. I mean, oh and, and you, oh so you're saying you have the one example of you leaving your purse when you try to break up with your boyfriend. And then the the other one that occurs to me is like something with your like with your mom being like you're grounded or something and you right storming out of the house or something but then like you forgot your phone or something. I don't I don't right. know right like, like I keep I keep thinking about like it needs to I think it needs to be kind of absurd and I can't think of what would be the most absurd way to like come come back after storming out on someone I mean I can think of like real moments where I remember storming out on an ex once and then coming back because I was the one that lived there. Oh, my God. That's so funny. You know? I was the one who lived there. Like, I had the lease. And so I just had to storm out. I just did the gesture of storming out, but then I wasn't gone. Yeah. That's like a great Mitch Hedberg joke. It's like, it's hard to break up. In a oh, tent, the tent? Because you, you can't slam the flap. Yes. Yes. I was just watching his, uh, it's his like, special. It's like, fuck. It's like, vroom, vroom, fuck you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he does it like the zipper sound, I think. Yeah. It's, it's like, so great. I want something like that where it's really anticlimactic. Um, yeah. I like that. The other thing, by the way, is like the interrelationship. I mean, I don't know what the connective tissue is, but between the miscarriage and the suicidal thoughts right thematically i mean there's a lot there yeah well it's always death i'm always going back to death right me too that's what my whole new show is about my new show is called the old man in the pool and it's all about like hitting middle age and realizing like oh there's natural causes you know what i mean like yeah getting on the hill and going oh they're coming you know right and like yeah so that's what the whole show is about my my goal is to sort of like Essentially, like, break open death as much as I can and make people laugh about it. I got to see that. I got to see. I mean, I I remember watching um, your set at the cellar about the YMCA. About being oh, yeah, at the YMCA. that's in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's in there. And yeah, I was yeah. like, this is so great. It's um, th- actually, I have something on that, which I don't even know if I have a joke for it, but this is, I was doing, I've been re- doing research on the YMCA pool and public pools and stuff. And this is like a weird fact that I discovered from a lot of people like, DMing me on Instagram and 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 stuff, which is that when you're at the public pool and you smell that really acute sort of chlorine smell, it's actually not just chlorine, right? It's a it's a chemical reaction of chlorine and urine, Ugh. and 
And then when I read that, I was like, oh, I guess I'm never going to read again. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, like, I dug, I did a deep dive on it. Sci- I, this is from NPR. Scientists calculated that in one 220,000-gallon commercial-sized swimming pool, it contained— <laughs> This is sickening. Oh, my God. 20 gallons of urine. Can you imagine pouring 20 of those gas tank gallons full of pure urine into a pool and going, hop in, kids? That's disgusting. It's literally too—it's almost too gross for the stage. And you're someone who talks about, like, the death of your sister and, like— miscarriages on stage and you're like mike you've gone a bridge too far well also it makes me think oh my god my sister drowned in urine oh my (laughs) god that is horrible (laughs) oh why couldn't she have drowned in dignity (laughs) my first thought was and it was urine with bubbles because it was a jacuzzi (laughs) Rosie, how dare you? I'm sorry. How dare you bring— No, 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 I— That is so gross. This has taken a turn for the worse. This is really—we have merged the most horrific topics into one super joke that we can only perform together on On stage with two microphones. On this podcast, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, my God. That is so disgusting. (laughs) Holy— It's the— it's the it's the chlorine pee death super joke. Right. You've 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 heard that one, right? Yeah, I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> so what it is is Rosebud and Mike walk on stage. It's one joke. They walk on stage every once in a while, and Mike tells the first part about the pool, and then Rosie tells the second part about her dead sister, and then they and then they get standing ovation. They leave every time. Yeah, and by standing ovation, we mean they're not clapping, but they are standing up and <laughs> also <weird>. leaving. <laughs> yeah, everyone leaves at the same time. That's it's the closer. Working it out is sponsored in part by Bombas. Bombas Socks is a company I just love. I love I love these folks. I interviewed the the owners of it last year. Uh, about a year ago on the podcast for the holiday episode, just because I'm so inspired by what they do. Their mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So this holiday, when you gift Bombas to someone on your list, you're also giving them to someone in need. It is a give, give. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters in that order. And that's why Bombas donates one for every item that you buy, which I think is a phenomenal idea. Bombas are made to be the perfect gift and made to give back to those in need. So happy giving. Go to bombas.com slash and get 20% off any purchase during their big holiday sale. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash for 20% off. Bombas.com slash Working It Out is also sponsored by Helix. Helix mattresses. As you know, look, if you listen to the podcast, you're you're sold at this point on Helix mattresses, right? I mean, we're 
we're on board for Helix. I mean, if you think that you and I have the same taste <laughs> in mattresses, <laughs> then you then you will like a Helix mattress. I love it. My family loves it. My brother Joe loves it. The staff of Working It Out loves it. I think you'll love it too. Go to helixsleep.com slash Burbigs. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. That's the easiest quiz you'll ever take in your life. Don't cheat. Don't cheat on that quiz. They will find you. Do you take the sleep quiz? They'll match you with a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our Working It Out listeners at helixsleep.com slash Burbigs. Once again, that's helixsleep.com slash Burbigs. I have a story that it's it, it's a bit much for the stage because it's it, there's a lot of shit in the story. It's a lot of pooping. Okay. Um, but I took so I have a puppy. And, Same with the YMCA pool, by the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's I have a puppy, <laughs> and um, I took her on a plane, a cross country plane trip. Right. I was L.A. to New York, and I had her in her little carrier, like little mesh carrier, and on this trip. She refused to eat uh, kibble. She wasn't eating kibble. So I was taking her out to restaurants, and I was ordering her, like, chicken and rice at these restaurants. And then just putting it on a little plate, and she was eating it. Something sensible. Something sensible. And eating it uh, next to me on on the floor, right? Just, like, the most obnoxious kind of dog owner, you know, where I'm making an order for my dog. Anyway, uh, so I'm worried because I was like, she didn't— she didn't go to the bathroom before this flight. And I was, like, walking around the airport, like, please go to the bathroom. Please, please, please. You cannot, because she farted in the Uber on the way. And and I have <laughs> okay. to tell you, it was one of those moments where I, cu- I could not blame it on the dog because the smell was so powerful that the Uber driver would have been like, sure, your 10-pound <laughs> dog just did that. <laughs> So I was, like, panicking, and I I just thought, okay, come on, please. Like, she was so good about going outside this whole trip. And uh, and I thought, all right, well, she'll be fine because it's been four days now. She hasn't had an accident. She'll be good. We get on the plane. She's fine. She's sleeping. She's in her crate. She's being perfect, just a little angel. And then with two hours left in the flight, I smell something that I cannot— Everyone smelled it at the same time. It hit me and all the other passengers at the same time. <laughs> and the the look that everyone gave me was, that's shit. <laughs> that's not a fart. <laughs> and when I tell you, I didn't even that's think. That's a very specific look. That's a yeah, very specific look like, that one can give. That's shit. You know what I mean? Because yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a fart will crescendo and then die, but yes, shit will just keep just pulsate through the air. Yes. So I grab. Shit feels like it's in your nose. Yeah, shit. as opposed to your nose is discerning something. Yeah, I mean the passengers looked at me like we can taste that, and <laughs> and so so I. I picked up her carrier, and I just walked into the airplane bathroom with it, right? And I open it up, and sure enough, this tiny demon 
has just diarrheaed all oh over gosh. her carrier. Oh my gosh. It's everywhere. I'm talking in the mesh. It's yep. on her. It's in the in that like that sheepskin blanket that is there. So I start to just panic. I just start grabbing paper towels, cleaning it out, like with just that dribbling water that's coming out of the that tiny little faucet. I mean, I might as well be spitting in my hand trying to clean up. <laughs> it's, it's like throwing paper towels at a hurricane at this point. And and I'm shove and I'm throwing all the paper towels into that toilet because I'm like, well, this is the only way to really get it, get rid of these paper towels. Yeah, yeah. Now, I did not know that you can clog an airplane toilet. I didn't oh, know. You can clog an wow. airplane toilet with that NASA suction. Yeah. And so I'm trying to, so I'm just, there was like a, one of the sticks that keeps the crate like in box shape. I just pulled that out and just started shoving the paper towels down okay. the toilet. I mean, it was like, it was like a scene in a movie. And, and while I'm doing this and I'm panicking and I'm sweating, I feel her little paws on my calf. And, mm. and she, it was like, hey, I know you're really busy, but there's more. <laughs> okay. And I look down, and she has shit on the floor. Oh, god! She has shit all over the floor. Oh, and, my gosh. And I'm taking all of the stuff out of her crate, the, the blanket, the bowl, the leash. I'm just, I'm just wrapping it in paper towels and shoving it in that tiny, like, Kleenex-sized trash can that they have. Wow. And then I take her and I'm cleaning her off and I put so I finally get everything up, right? And I'm I have like these Purell wipes, so I'm just using those to like get alcohol all over everything. And then this is where I really screwed myself because I love her. So I decided she's not going to be comfortable. So I took off my hoodie, which was $75. <laughs> and I put my hoodie in her crate. And I thought Aww. that'll cover up any of the smell and, like, she'll be comfortable for the rest of the flight, right? Yeah. And I get out of the bathroom. Everyone's looking at me. And I realize I'm wearing a different outfit. So now it just looks like I've shit myself. Oh, my God. That's great. And brought my dog in the bathroom with me. <laughs> Because I needed company or something. Like, yeah, yeah. That's essentially like, like everyone. And this was the same week that it was trending that white people don't wash their legs on Twitter. And so I was like, oh I'm like, <laughs> I'm like walking to my seat and just everyone's like this dirty white bitch. Just like, you know. Can I pitch a tag? Yes, please pitch everything. I have one idea for tag, which is, um, so I'm trying to have a baby. Because <laughs> I feel like I have the tools. Yes. Or at very least, the paper towels. <laughs> the final thing we do on the show is this thing called Working Out for a Cause. And, and you choose a nonprofit, and, and then I will donate to that nonprofit. We'll link them in the show notes. Is there anyone uh, you, you think is doing a particularly good, good job right now? Um, I am always inclined to look for like a domestic violence uh thing i i always like to 
try to put money towards women who are, um, like, seeking shelter from domestic violence and giving them the resources that they need. So uh, there's a charity for women who are dealing with domestic violence and coming out of domestic violence situations called Safe Horizon in New York. That's great. They're, they're safehorizon.org, and we'll link to them in the show notes. And, great. Uh, and thanks, Rose, for coming on the show. And uh, and I, everyone should watch your special. And they should see you out on tour because you're yeah. one of the funniest people I've encountered in this whole darn thing, and uh, I really appreciate Thank you Thank you so on. much. That means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no that's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out with Rosebud Baker. You should watch that Whiskey Fist special on YouTube. It's uh, Whiskey Fists, and you can follow Rosebud at, at Rosebud Baker on Instagram. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salomon and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish. Sound mix by Kate Belinsky, with help from Steve Bone. Sound recording by Cynthia Daniels. Associate producer Mabel Lewis. Thanks to my consigliere, Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh F. Fall. Special thanks, as always, to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. And, of course, my wife, the poet J. Hope Stein. Our book is called The New One, Painfully True Stories from a Reluctant Dad with poems by J. Hope Stein. It is, I have to say, I mean, look, I co-wrote the book, but I... I recommend the book for the holiday season. It's it's a nice thing to pick up at your local bookstore. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created a radio fort made of pillows to dull the sound in tough times. Thanks most of all to you who have listened. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. We're working it out. See you next time, everybody.